Welcome to Break Free from Binge Eating with me, Victoria. I'm so happy that you're here. If we haven't met yet, I just want you to know that I get you because I was you. I was stuck in the diet binge cycle and hating my body for over 20 years. I've overcome anorexia, bulimia, binge eating disorder, and I'm a domestic abuse survivor. Now that I'm free and happy from the inside out, I've dedicated my whole life to help other women feel the same. In this podcast, we're going to cover food and body freedom, self-love and personal development. And if you implement what you learn, you will be well on your way to healing your relationship with food and your body so that you can fall in love with yourself and your life. Ready? Let's go. Well, welcome queens to another episode of Break Free from Binge Eating with me, Victoria. And I have another Victoria with me today, all the way from Canada. So I'm just going to read her bio to you. I have Victoria Evans with me, and she began her career in the corporate world with a prominent Fortune 500 company in the beauty industry in Montreal. During this time, her challenges related to eating disorders, mental health, extreme dieting and overexercising became a catalyst for creating a solution to an issue millions of women deal with today. As a successful eating coach, Victoria is dis- disrupting the wellness industry through her fundamentally science-based approach. Victoria helps countless women to heal their relationship with food by optimizing their mindset for a happier and healthier lifestyle. She currently resides in Canada while providing solutions to women through her online coaching program. So without further ado, Victoria, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here. I'm honored to have you and we're going to start with 10 fire starter questions these are really fun so number one sweet or savory sweet weights or cardio oh oh it depends on the day it has to be intuitive movement oh okay today it feels like weights (laughs) okay i love that intuitive movement dogs or cats dogs one to three books you would recommend because this is a hard one to choose one (laughs) Oh my goodness. Oh, Glennon Doyle, Untamed. Hell yeah, such a great book. Night Owl or Early Riser? Such a night owl. Oh, I'm the opposite. I'm in bed for half past eight every night. (laughs) Oh, I was like, it's 10 a.m. here right now. It's a recording. I went to bed last night. It was like two maybe. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Yeah, I'm a night owl. I couldn't cope. What's okay? I'm really excited to hear this one. What's the one of the most ridiculous things you've done in the past when you've been binge eating? Oh man, that's a (laughs) oh one of the most ridiculous things. Um, I had a point where I had ordering. I was ordering Uber Eats to my apartment in Montreal, and they were passing each other in the hallways. And I had a studio apartment. I lived by myself and I would pretend that I was calling to someone around the corner <laughs> that the food was here. Like multiple people. I was like, yeah, they're here. No, just put that over there. Like I was like, I had a whole like acting situation going on and then they would be past each other. I'm like, oh, perfect. Yeah. They're going to love this. Right. And they would like be bringing me this food. So that was one of my best acting performances, or maybe they're just like, this lady's crazy, but that was uh, off the top of my head one of my great binging experiences yeah <laughs> I used to do something similar not as drastic when I go to the suit when I used to go to the supermarket and buy all this binge food I, even though the cashier probably did not care what I was buying who it was for I used to have to say ah oh, having a girl's night and I wasn't it was good. it was just all for me oh I used to do that all I would be like oh we're having a ch- oh, this is maybe this is when he's a better one I would say we're having a chocolate tasting party tonight I vividly <laughs> remember saying that to a cashier as I lined up like 10 like Cadbury and like all Ooh. these like Kit Kat like all these different types of chocolates this lady's like sure <laughs> <laughs> isn't it funny though how honestly like we have to say that because we felt shame mm-hmm. inside whereas they probably didn't even care or even think what we would do and they just was like whatever it's so absolutely cool. yeah thank you for so, sharing that okay mm-hmm. number seven finish this sentence when experiencing a body image trigger I take a deep breath ground myself and reframe it mm, love 
What's your pet hate in life, if you have one? Mm. Oh, um, oh my gosh. I was like thinking of one I used to have a few years ago, which was people driving slow, but then that was really like more resembling how I moved through life really quickly and how like I ate quickly and everything. So I'm like, that's not really my pet peeve anymore. Now I haven't thought about it in years. Pet peeve would be when people cut you off in conversation. Oh yeah. My best friend does that and I tell her all the time and she still does it. I, my dad and I have had this like love-hate relationship for years. He gets so excited to say something and then he cuts me off. I'm like, like. <laughs> Yeah, I feel that. What's the first thing you would do if you became prime minister or president, whatever they call it over there? Ooh, I would put together an epic cabinet of women who represent all different areas. So the like indigenous woman, um, you know, like black woman, like I would have like just really solid woman, epic, amazing scientists, engineer, like everyone that maybe that needs to be represented in our society, come together, discuss what needs to hope go on and then just approve so many different bills and laws to make that happen. Mm. I wouldn't be able to do it on myself, by myself, but bring in all these amazing women, I would say. Girl power, love yeah. that. And last but not least, I'm so grateful that you're here, Victoria, but why did you say yes to coming on today? Mm. I love to share my story because I did not hear my story when I was going through these struggles. And when we talk about it, and like we were saying before, so much of it is shame around binge eating. And when we hear someone's gone through it and they've come out the other side and they can talk about their story and what they've learned, I think that's so empowering. So I love to share it. Yeah, that leads me so nicely onto my first question, which actually reads, I believe that hearing someone else's story can heal and help others so much. So would you be able to share like how you are, where you are today and a little bit about your journey, please? Yeah, so I can't remember a time where I didn't struggle with food. <laughs> like I was, you know, the kid who hid the cookie dough and would eat it. Um, and it was really just such a place of comfort for me, especially when I didn't necessarily have the skills to cope with my big emotions, right? Mm -hmm. So my parents had a book growing up called How to Parent Your Spirited Child. I <laughs> had a lot of emotions. I had a lot of energy and I didn't know where to put that. And so food became this channel for me. And so, so often we really hate on food, but for for most of my life, it really was this comfort and this best friend to me when I didn't necessarily have the resources available to me to give myself what I actually needed. Mm. And, and so, yeah, that was, that kind of struggled. I was also very athletic though. So despite eating a lot of food and having larger portions all the time, it was kind of balanced out with being very athletic. Um, but I still had this kind of idea, like if I just lose weight, then I'll be happy, right? Mm -hmm. That kind of idea that we get into our heads. And so, especially around 12, 13, I started to really struggle with depression, anxiety, like really, really quite intensely. And again, this idea, like if I was just skinny, then things would be, you know, work out, then I would be happy. And that narrative continued through, you know, through high school when I was again, really struggling with mental health, um, right up until university where still an athlete, I was playing um, NCAA volleyball in the States on scholarship which was awesome and terrible at the same time because it was very body focused. Mm -hmm. um, and my eating, you know, maybe had been somewhat controlled while I was living at home. You know, my parents buying the food felt all of a sudden it was chaotic. So I was able to drive to the Walmart and get like all these different foods and just eat all of it. And I remember like sitting in my bed in my dorm, like just surrounded by all my food on my bed and I felt safe mm -hmm. and I felt comforted. And I felt excited. And that was the only part of my day where I felt those things. The rest of the day, I felt so out of place. And though I went to the States to play volleyball because I was the best player on my team in the area. And then all of a sudden when you're there and everyone is the best, you're no longer the best. And so my identity was, you know, being shattered. I didn't, again, all these big emotions channeling into food. Um, and so I, yeah, I really, really struggled. And so then after graduation, I moved to Montreal started working at this very prominent beauty company and basically very kind of vogue there, very like beautiful, uh, thin. Um, and so again, this idea of like, if I just lose weight, then I'll fit in, then I'll be loved, then everything will be wonderful. And so I was like, I'm going to do it once and for all. I've been kind of 
going on and off all these different diets for so many years, you know, my Pinterest board was like all these like inspirational quotes of like, you know, these random different things. I look back, I'm like, oh, it's so cringy. Um, you know, nothing tastes as good as skinny feels, all that kind of stuff, right? And so, yeah, I bought this online, like Instagram. She was a, a fitness competitor. She was like a bikini model. Uh, I bought her 12 week weight loss guaranteed program. She was like millions of followers and went all in, like went all in on this program. And I messaged her first few days in, cause I'm like, I feel really dizzy. Like, I feel like I'm not getting enough food. Like, I don't know what's happening. She's like, oh no, that's totally normal. Your stomach is shrinking. Um, just drink more black coffee and intermittent fast. Oh, so I was like, oh, red flag. But I'm like, also you have millions of followers. So like, you must know what you're doing, right? This kind of blind trust equals, you know, like followers, all that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So started losing a ton of weight. I was already athletic, adding in all these kind of crazy workouts, super restrictive food. Um, began losing a ton of weight. By the end of it, I'd lost about 80 pounds and I became her poster child of her program all over her social media. Look at Victoria, like my before and after photos. She looks amazing, blah, blah, blah. And all of a sudden I was getting this attention and I was being seen for the first time in my life. And so it was this very kind of confusing thing where I was in this body that I'd always dreamed of, getting attention that I'd always wanted but I'd never been unhealthier or unhappier, Mm. right? And so there I was. And so at this point, my, you know, super restrictive eating, it started to turn to binge eating, of course, because our body's fighting back, self-sabotage is self-protection. And so there I was binge eating, but I was so afraid of gaining weight, this really turned to bulimia. Mm. So this was this horrific cycle, I'd eat nothing all day long. I'd work out twice a day, and then I would be coming home at night, binging on all this food and then purging all of it. And they're spending like hundreds and hundreds of dollars on food, like even like per night, because mm-hmm. I was not eating anything, but I was just continuously buying it. Right. Never full. Um, and so that kind of continued on. Um, and basically got to this point where one day I was running up a mountain at 3am because I'd had an extra handful of trail mix. And I was too afraid that it wasn't going to be all out of my stomach. So I was standing on the top of the mountain after a 30 kilometer run, the sun was just rising over the city of Montreal. And I was like, I can't do this anymore. <laughs> like, what am I doing? There's never going to be enough weight loss that I'm going to be happy. I'm miserable. Um, I, I hate my life. Like, what am I doing here? And I just had this really kind of rock bottom pivotal moment. And then from there, I came home to my apartment and called the eating disorder hotline and basically kind of opened up for the first time in my life. So that's kind of the first part of my story, but that's a lot. So, <laughs> wow! Thank you so much for sharing. What a journey, and I can't wait to hear the mm-hmm. second half. But when you was going through that, like when you was doing this diet from this bikini competitor, did any mm-hmm. of your friends or your family? I know you 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 lived away then from your parents. Did any of them kind of comment, or was they always praising you? It was all praise. It was all, "How are you doing it? You look amazing." what it like, can I work out with you? Right. Like it became this, a part of my identity. Um, and like those comments just gave me so much energy. Like when I felt like I couldn't do it anymore, it was like, Mm. you look wonderful. I was like, Oh, okay. Right. And you know, I was the girl who would go to the gym at lunch every day instead of eating lunch. And like, it just became this all encompassing part of myself that I didn't know how to not be that girl anymore. Mm. How did you deal with, um, that wasn't my question. My question was, I had a really good question, Victoria, and it's gone. It might <laughs> it'll come back. back to me. So, yeah, it'll come so, back. So bear with. Um, yeah, it's gone. So can you talk, if it comes back, when it comes back, I'll ask you, but how did you then go from, you know, at that point where you decided that enough is enough, you're going to call for help, which I'm so glad you did because you're here doing what you're doing today. What happened after that then? What made you help others? Yeah. So that was kind of the kickoff my recovery journey. And again, so important to talk about it and kind of offload it, right? Shame thrives and shame and secrecy and we shed light on it. All of a sudden we start to heal. And so it was that first kind of part into my healing journey. And I started to go to, you know, counseling and therapy and all of these things specifically for eating disorders. But the thing that would happen is that I would go to these sessions, like all my lunch hour, take the subway over, you know, go and bring up all of this stuff. 
and then just leave. And I was like, what do I do with all this emotion? Like, I haven't learned how to cope with it since I was a child. Like nothing has changed here, but all of a sudden now you're telling me not to use food. Right. So it was like, going through emotional surgery without having food as an anesthetic is what I would say. Um, And so I felt very raw, very vulnerable. And I actually started to get worse for a little bit because I felt like I was just kind of rehashing the same stories. I knew a lot of insight about where my issues were coming from, but I was unable to have any kind of a transformation. Mm -hmm. And so I really had to take kind of matters into my own hands. And I started to do a lot of research on what is bulimia? Why do we develop binge eating? Why am I so obsessed with my body? Why do I have so much body dysmorphia? Like all these different questions. And I went really deep into the science. Um, so I was reading like, you know, different scientific papers. I was listening to different audiobooks, different doctors, talks, everything. And all of a sudden I started to kind of compile this information. If you would have seen my apartment this time, it looked like a crazy person lived there because there's papers everywhere and like sticky notes and arrows and everything. Um, but ultimately, unknowingly kind of created this program that ultimately saved my own life. And it was really based on the education, which I believe alleviates shame and creates empowerment. Um, again, and then as well as lots of tools because I you know in terms of how our brain works, if we want to change our habits, we want to change our behaviors or state of being, we have to be consistently firing on new neural pathways. Mm-hmm. So going once a week to talk about something, I wasn't consistently doing it enough that I was actually making any kind of a change. And so I kind of developed all these interesting little science-based tools that would use my own biology um, with the work, the education that I was learning. And all of a sudden I was starting to make these big strides. Um, And then from there, I was like, oh, wow, this is really cool. No one's doing it this way. No one's talking about this. So I started talking about it online and kind of sharing my story. Um, And then from there, people kind of messaged me like, maybe you could help me with this, gave me some tips, all of that, Um, which then led to me doing some beta clients. um, So people testing out my program for free. And then from there, I quit my corporate job, did start doing it full time. It's been going amazingly well. And then I moved to Bali for two years um, and now I'm back and I'm still doing it online now. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah. I'm curious, more of a question for myself. Mm-hmm. When you was at the therapy, did they ask you or kind of tell you not to use food as comfort? Like how did they navigate that knowing that restriction is the cause of binge eating or didn't they know that? Yeah, so they knew that I had to be eating more food. Like that was definitely very apparent that I was, I was eating some days like under a thousand calories, but then also purging it. So it was just not, my hair was falling out. Also period is a mess. Um, So there was definitely a side of you need to be eating more food. Right. But also it wasn't necessarily, um, that was kind of the end all be all of it. Just need to eat more food. And now let's kind of talk about how things are going. It wasn't necessarily like, you know, you're restricting and therefore that's why you're binging. Like there wasn't that clear line. It's just, you need more food and my brain will, but then I'll gain weight. Yeah. I remember my, they asked telling me like, well, the difference between you gaining 10 pounds, you know, and being ha- like the difference was you gaining 10 pounds and being happy. Would you do it? And I said, I'd rather die. Like that's where I was at. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, there wasn't, there was very much a disconnect between the information they were telling me, which could have been really helpful, right? But because I didn't understand why I was doing it, why it would be helpful, I didn't implement it. And that's what I love when I work with clients. It's like, I'm not gonna, just going to give you different tools. I'm going to explain why we do it and why it works. And they're like, oh, okay, now I'll do it. But if you just tell me to do something and I have no kind of understanding of why it would work or why it's for me, then it's very difficult to implement. Oh, I love that. I bet your program is so chock full of value. It is. I'm so proud of it, really. I'm I'm launching a course right now um, so I can take on even more women because my one-on-one is sold out. Um, so I'm, I'm just so excited. Yeah. Oh, I'm so happy for you. The more of us doing this work in the world, the better. Um, I have a great question next. If you could time travel back to any age of your younger self, what age would you go back to and what would you say to her now? Mm. Well, I'm going to get emotionally even thinking about this because every time I do, um, when I was 16 on my 16th birthday, I tried to take my own life because I was so unhappy. And I remember thinking like the world is going to be a better place without me. And I'm, this is kind of I'm doing this and it's going to help other people because I'm not going to be such a burden, all those kind of things. And if I could go back and talk to her and really just tell her, like, 
you're going to grow up and all of your pain is going to become your superpower. Mm. All of those, you know, all of those cuts, all these wounds that you've had, those scars are going to be like these battle wounds that you're going to be able to talk about other people and inspire other people and help them create change in your own life. So all of this pain you're going through, it's, it's not for nothing, right? It's creating you, it's molding you, it's shaping you, and you're going to become an incredible inspirational woman. And you're going to be so proud that you are going to be there to do so. Wow. You are such an inspiration. I feel that. I love the battle, the battle wound analogy. Mm -hmm. I love that. Thank you for sharing that. Mm -hmm. What advice would you give to someone? And I'm sure you go through this all the time because I have like nearly every single client ask me this question. When they start their food freedom journey and they're petrified of weight gain, what advice would you give them to start off with? Mm, such a great question because I think obviously why we're so steeped into diet culture, even struggling with binging is because we're restricting because we want to kind of um, change our weight and like shrink ourselves, right? And so what I always talk to clients about is that the fact that whenever we say we want to lose weight, that actually means something completely different, mm-hmm. right? It's like, it's, it's like almost like you have like a microphone. It's like auto-tuned to become something else or something. It's like, that's not what actually you're saying. What you're saying is you want to feel loved. You want to feel connected. You want to feel seen and heard and worthy. And none of those things are going to come in a smaller body, mm. but I can guarantee that the pursuit of a smaller body will prevent you from ever achieving those things. Mm. Yes, so freaking powerful. I believe that society, you know, the people that don't know us for who we are, I believe we do. I mean, you've experienced it for yourself and me too. Like we get so much shallow external validation, but that's not the same as true belonging and connection and love. And I think I used to confuse the two. So I used to, you know, want men to want to sleep with me, even though I was happy with my boyfriend, I used to want women to wish they were me, even though I genuinely love all women and I wouldn't want to be better than them. It's such a kind of messed, messed up intertwined thing that we're sold to every single day. It really helped me when I got clear exactly what you said, Victoria, that doesn't mean this. And what do you choose? Do you choose this and then have your life this way? Or do you choose that? Like, It was Mm -hmm. obvious to me when I got clear on what I was actually doing and why, exactly as you said, the why is so freaking powerful. Yeah, absolutely. And so often we don't take the second to kind of ask ourselves those questions because no one tells us to, right? We're told to, you know, go on this diet or that diet or whatever. And no one goes like, wait, why have you all been trying to go on the same different kind of diets with different names for the past however many years and it's not working right and it's, it's not happening and it's really just keeps women I take such a feminist approach to this like in their place quote unquote and like small and stuck like if we're all worrying about how many almonds we've had for lunch of course we're not going to go into the boardroom and lean in and deliver a powerful meeting of course we're not going to ask for the raise if all we're doing is trying to put her what we've eaten that day into my fitness pal, right? It's robbing women of the ability to show up fully in their lives when all we're doing is worrying about these little things that we don't need to be worrying about. Yes, which was fed to us, pardon the pun, like Mm -hmm. throughout history to keep us small. I mean, that's a whole nother conversation altogether. I know you know this stuff, but when we start to educate ourselves on why, you know, the beauty industry and the diet industry is like it is, it kind of can make you really angry. Mm-hmm. And then I, when I understood, I was like rebelling against all of that diet culture and I still rebel and I'm the rebellion for all women that want to follow my rebellion and to love themselves and just eat whatever the hell they want when they want. Mm-hmm. So my next question for you, Victoria, is some of my listeners might not understand or know what weight set point theory is. Mm-hmm. What are your views on that? And can you speak to that? Yeah, absolutely. So this is something that I thought was total garbage when I first started intuitive eating. I was like, this is ridiculous. Like, of course, if you eat, you know, eat whatever you want, your weight is just going to take off and it's never going to stop. And then you die alone. Like that was how my brain would just like completely escalate on that situation. When in reality, everyone's body has a set point, which basically means our body has an idea of the weight it wants to be at in order for it to be its happiest and its healthiest. 
This is usually described as more of a set point range. So it'll fluctuate between 10, 15 pounds to kind of depending on the season we're at in our life. But basically our body, our brain is going to basically work. So changing our metabolism or hypothalamus, which is basically kind of control all this kind of stuff, kind of like the thermostat of our body. Um, you know, it's going to change our metabolism. It's going to change our ghrelin or leptin or hunger and our fullness cues, our desire to move, all those kind of things. It's kind of trying to keep you within this range. And so if you start intuitive eating, and you're below your set point, you might gain a little weight in order for your body to feel happy and healthy. If you're above your set point, you might lose weight. Again, that's not guaranteed, right? Weight loss might be a byproduct intuitive eating. It's never the goal, the um, the objective, maybe even just still say the same, right? But the point is, is that eating intuitively restores that set point. And that's the place when you feel good, your body feels awesome. Of course, there's going to be some limiting beliefs that you have to shift around what it maybe means to not have the goal weight or the weight you imagined yourself in, mm-hmm. but rather starting to embrace the weight that your body wants to be in. Yes, because health is not a size or a weight. Health is mm-hmm. all of the other biomarkers that we can all strive towards without even having weight loss as a goal. And I love what you said. It can be a byproduct of striving towards health learning how to eat intuitively, all of those things. But when we make it the goal, that's when problems arise. Absolutely. When someone's practicing intuitive eating, what guidance would you give them if they were to say, my body wants the soup or the salad, but my mind wants a chocolate cake, help? Mm, Yeah. So this is a great question. One of the first things you want to do is again, I always say this, take a deep breath, right? So, so often we're living, again, I teach very scientifically in that kind of sympathetic state, which is that fight or flight mode, right? So from that part, we're not actually able to access our prefrontal cortex, which is the most developed future thinking rational part of our brain. So when we're in that kind of fight or flight mode, we're feeling very chaotic, we're not able to be like, do I actually want this or do I actually want this, right? Our brain, particularly that primitive part of our brain is always seeking out, you know, pleasurable foods, high calorie, delicious as a means for survival, even if it's maybe not consciously what you're actually wanting at that point. So just taking a few deep breaths is always a really first great step um, to basically activate your parasympathetic nervous system, help calm you down, access the more rational part of your brain. Um, and then from there, it's getting curious, right? it's not so much what you want to eat, but more why and how. That's what I always say. So why do I want to eat this? Well, it's because I'm trying to avoid some kind of emotional thing right now. Or why do I want to eat this? Because I'm so, so hungry. I didn't eat all day long. So of course I'm going to be gravitating towards higher calorie, you know, maybe less nutrient dense foods because my brain wants calories, calories, energy, Um, you know, or is it why? Because I simply want the taste of it. Right. So like asking yourself those kind of questions, then how, how do I want to eat it? Um, Well, do I want to be eating it over the kitchen sink super quickly, very chaotically out of control, or do I want to be sitting down and slowly eating it again in that parasympathetic rest, digest, um, and heal kind of that state, right? So those are the questions I like to ask and get kind of curious around it because there's no good or bad food. It's more just kind of checking how and why. I love that address. So we, so reframe it from not what it's why and how. Yeah. I love that. There's, I'm trying to think of the author, but I can't think of her name. It's one of the authors of the intuitive eating books. And she says, Mm -hmm. if you're going to eat from the, from the refrigerator, you may as well pull up a chair. <laughs> yeah, I love that. That's so true. It's exactly, and even you know, I remember reading something early on where it's like, if you're gonna binge, enjoy the binge. Like, really, like sit down and like savor each bite because all of a sudden it's getting out of that chaotic kind of mindset and it's like tuning in and eating in a different way, changing the association you have with food. And so, yeah, I totally hear you. <laughs> when when I first started my journey, I did choose to eat chocolate a lot just because I wanted the taste and Mm -hmm. when I learned that that was actually okay when I called my coach and was like I've ate all this chocolate and she was like that's okay love yourself anyway I was like I'm sorry what have I just paid you to like give me permission to binge (laughs) yeah but then when I ate mindfully and you know to start off with it was a similar amount I used to binge on But then when I allowed myself to actually enjoy it and have pleasure from it, when I actually loved myself through a quote unquote binge, gradually things start to calm down and you kind of want a green smoothie. And I remember thinking, holy shit, I want a green smoothie. And I was like, yeah, 
celebrating the fact like not the fact that I didn't want chocolate because of course if we're celebrating that then that the opposite to celebration not wanting it is that it's bad and wrong to have it just the fact that my body was giving me different signals and I was honoring that so it is a process isn't it Victoria it's not you know this it's so freaking scary to give up dieting it's so scary. And the way that I was thinking about it and the phrase I use is restriction creates rebellion and allowance creates space for choice. Mm. Right. So whether that be physically restricting the food or even mentally. So I coach around like the four different types of talk about mental, physical, emotional, and connection restriction. Um, and so we often think about like physical, like not actually letting ourselves have the food or eliminating different food groups. Right. But then the mental side of things can be look like I shouldn't have had that food. I'm so bad for eating that. What is wrong with the disgusting, right? And even just saying those words to ourselves, you know, it creates a feeling of shame, right? Shame highlights the same part of our brain as if we're in physical pain. What do we do when we're in pain? We look to self-soothe. We look to self-medicate, make ourselves feel better. We go back to food, right? It can become just such a vicious cycle. Um, instead of like, I used to tell myself like, yep, that happened, right? I had chocolate. Yep, that happened. Doesn't mean anything about me. You know, rather it meant that my body was missing something right? Maybe I was missing some kind of connection. Maybe I was missing some like emotional support. Maybe I wasn't eating enough food. Maybe I was speaking to myself harshly that day, like whatever that looks like, but it's not a point of anger or frustration. It's a point of curiosity and being like, okay, what did I need in that moment? Because layering on shame to shame doesn't get you anywhere. No, there's Jessica Pearl, who I had on the podcast before. She said, no change ever comes from shame. Yeah. And it's exactly. so true. And mm -hmm. when, when I first started, again, I always go back to when I first started because it was the most scariest and it most exciting time as well. I put full trust in my coach. I think that's so important to mm -hmm. find someone who you can trust because, you know, we can Google all the things and Google can give us all the answers, but there's something so powerful and supportive about having someone who has been there, who gets it and who can guide you through the emotion, the emotional things that happen. So I just love listening to your story. Mm -hmm. I'd love to talk to you about sugar. So do you believe in sugar addiction and why or why not? Yeah, great question. I actually was talking to a client about this yesterday. So no, I don't believe in sugar addiction, but I do believe that our brain has a difficult time processing sugar and we have to understand that. Right. So that primitive part of our brain is designed to seek out highly pleasurable, delicious food. So, you know, hundreds and thousands of years ago, whatever, it was berries and nuts. In this, this day and age, it's like the Tim Tams or the Cadbury, whatever. Right. And so when that happens, especially if we've been restricting in some way, we're going to be kicking out a ton of dopamine. Dopamine is anticipation of reward, which is why we feel like we're a different person and we start binging because we're having a dopamine response mm -hmm. that inhibits the front part of our brain, the prefrontal cortex. So it literally feels like Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde, right? So understanding that like sometimes if I'm eating these really sugary foods and I've been restricting them or I've made them off limits or I'm really hungry, whatever, it can feel a bit like you're addicted, but that's not actually the case. It's more that your brain is designed to seek out these kind of foods. And if you hadn't given it to that in some way throughout the day, and again, kind of restricting in one way or another, it will feel very chaotic and very, um, even kind of sometimes out of control. That's nothing to do with you. Um, that's just how your brain works. Um, but knowing like that feeling is going to end, right? That dopamine is going to wind down that feeling of like very intense tunnel vision around. I have to get more that will end. Um, knowing that and knowing that, um, yeah, it's not you're addicted. It's rather you're mostly restricted. Yeah. Oh, I love these ac not acronyms. No, they're not acronyms. The little rhymes that you're. Using, <laughs> I really love them. So I, I'm gonna listen back to this and like write the write all, all of these down. Um, <laughs> when yeah, so when we do eat sugar, as I as you've said, it sends like a rush of pleasure to our brain. Mm -hmm. It's just it, it's reminding me when I was first doing this and eating the chocolate all the time that if you stop and take a deep breath as you you know wisely recommend and ask your body it's not really about separating the mind and body as far as I'm concerned but your body is the most wisest thing on this planet and she knows best so yes maybe you want the chocolate to taste it and of course that's okay but how are you going to feel physically regardless of emotion regardless of guilt or any emotional discomfort realistically you're not going to feel great eating a kilogram of chocolate you're just not no. <laughs> Mm -hmm. Yeah, it comes back to like this, 
it, I think of it as self-care, right? It's like, we have to go to the dentist sometimes. We don't always like going to the dentist, right? But we do it because we take care of ourselves. Yeah. Same thing if like, maybe I want to eat a pound of chocolate, but I also know that my body's going to feel terrible, right? It's going to feel awful. And if I want a pound of chocolate, that's a pretty good warning bell that there's actually something else going on there that I maybe need to look into, right? And so it's, it's never like, you don't want to disconnect yourself from your body, but rather breaking out of that autopilot response like eating as much chocolate as fast as you can getting really present really conscious being like okay something's going on here something's happening what do I actually need and again not having it from a place of shame but rather a place of curiosity yeah and it's nut butters a lot of binge eaters either eat peanut butter or Nutella out of the jar Nutella was my thing I literally used to get a big jar put it in the microwave and actually drink it the whole (laughs) thing yeah Well, that is a sign if people are binging on nut butter especially that's a sign that they're not eating enough food mm-hmm. in general and I think it's yeah. so it so often happens that we don't know what our hunger actually feels like we're so used to following a plan and to ignoring our body's cues that we think hunger has to be literally stomach growling starving and then no wonder you feel like you can't ever choose a more nutritious choice because you're actually really hungry and we don't realize that yeah funny story on the peanut butter so that used to be like one of my biggest binge foods would be peanut butter and I remember that I'd come home for the weekend one time to visit my mom and she had peanut butter in the house and I got so I'm like how could you possibly have this here like because this at this point it wasn't out of the bag that I was bulimic and struggling it was just that Victoria is a crazy diet lady um and so I was like, how can you have this here like I don't want this peanut butter here like I'm gonna eat all of it mom's like okay okay she hides it in her room, right? And then my dog went up into her room, found the peanut butter and ate it all over her white bedspread. Oh no. Did she you? No, she well, she knew it was the dog, but she's like, I'm gonna kill you. Like, why can't I keep peanut butter in the house? It's a normal thing. And I remember being like, you don't get me. Like it's a whole thing. But anyways, the peanut butter, the saga. Yeah. I, and now it's like, I literally have the peanut butter. I don't even have like I threw three different kinds, like the natural, the skippies, the jiffy, whatever. And it's just so chill, but it's like, it's because I'm eating enough now and I'm like nourishing my body and taking care of it. Whereas before it was just no wonder it was chaotic. Yeah. It's incredible, isn't it? I used to get angry at my mom. If she suggested yeah. me to go to a cake for a coffee and cake on a Wednesday, I'd be like, how dare you ask me? It's not a cheat day. Like I, I was angry at my mom for, for spending time together. Oh yeah. I remember my mom came to visit me in Montreal and we went out for breakfast and she ordered waffles and mm-hmm. I, and she had, the lady was like, would you like some whipped cream on it? And I was like, yeah, and I was all excited. And I looked at her as if she was insane. I was like, yeah. are you kidding me? Like I learned, she, we, I actually recorded a podcast with her like a couple of years ago about this, um, about like, you know, what it looked like to support me through this. And she was like, it was the craziest thing. She was like, you just a flip switch and you were so mad at me and so angry. I didn't know what happened. And like, it's, you become a different person. It's, it's really wild. Yeah, sure. Do you use um, gentle nutrition with your clients when navigating health? And how does that look like for someone that doesn't understand what that means? Yeah, so I'm not someone who's like, I'm not a nutritionist. I'm not a dietitian. So the way I approach food is really bringing it back to our mindset around it. Um, the women that I work with, they tend to come from a more, um, I want to say kind of more of an orthorexic, so like obsession with healthy eating kind of a background more so than anything, which means that the work that we usually do tends to be kind of incorporating other different foods and kind of creating a larger kind of scope, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so with that work, it's usually what I use like, a, you know, more of a crowding out technique in terms of adding in different types of food with the foods you already feel safe around um, and understanding like if we're not, again, if we're not eating enough food throughout the day, right, that is going to lead to those kind of binge responses. So in terms of like gentle nutrition, I don't specifically coach that because the woman and I work with in the conversations, obviously we have, um, we understand kind of what we should be eating, but then we don't understand why we're self-sabotaging. So we kind of fill in the blanks there. Yeah. And it, it gentle nutrition, in my opinion, it should be done. Well, I don't like the word should. I always correct myself because when I correct my clients, I'm like, I should always correct myself when I'm saying that word. Um, later on through their journey, their food freedom journey, if health is a value of theirs, I'm happy to bring that in. But what a lot of clients like to try and do is jump on the bandwagon of nutrition. Yeah. I am a nutritionist, but they try and jump on that a little bit too early. But then they, of course, they go back to 
diet mentality, black or white thinking. It's about crowding in. I love that crowding everything in. You know, if someone's wanting to build muscle in the gym, because I'm a personal trainer as well, and I love my fitness, they're going to want to eat more protein. But it's not about mm-hmm. not allowing themselves to have the sugar or the Nutella or whatever. It's how can you actually add in more protein that makes sense to you without it being like a rule or something that you feel if you haven't managed to do it, then you're a failure. It's all about mindset, isn't it? Yeah, that's exactly it. And so that's what I kind of, you know, with my clients, it's like, I get you to that baseline of like, food is neutral. I have a healthy relationship with food and my body. If we want to, you know, from that space, like, you know, if you want to go and look at like, okay, I want to, yeah, work to maximize my, like I CrossFit. So like my CrossFit performance or whatever, you can absolutely do that. But if you're trying to start with nutrition and getting super, you know, controlling about what you're eating and diet, it's like, that's, that's like complete opposite of what we're trying to do. Right. Um, so I think, yeah, it's exactly what you said. It's like, we can't start in that place, but if that's where you want to end up, then I think that's amazing. Um, but setting that kind of foundation and getting to that kind of baseline of food neutrality and then kind of moving from there. Yes. I couldn't agree more. I love that. What are three things that have helped you and your clients to fully accept your body, even when gaining possible weight? Cause it all starts with the body image, doesn't it? so much so yeah for still hating herself it's very difficult to eat intuitively right because it's like that little voice in your head being like don't eat that even if your body actually wants it so yeah so three things I'd say the first thing um would be to what I do would be a social media like a curate my social media right so we're so intentional about our physical environment often but not necessarily our virtual environment so doing what I call like you know a Mary Kondo of your accounts so what brings you true joy and not joy in the sense of like some Fitzbo account that actually makes you feel terrible and shame drives the opposite response rather you know seeing yourself represented right so if you've gained some weight or if you have cellulite on your legs or whatever like I know for me I followed women who have cellulite on their legs because I have cellulite on my legs and seeing myself represented meant it felt safe for me to be myself no matter how I saw my body changing so first thing I'd say would be to curate your social media environment the second thing um, would be to talk about it which sounds really small but like when we keep everything inside of how we're feeling, it just compounds and we often kind of make it into something bigger and mean something more than it actually does. And so that's also why I love having a coach, you know, because when you speak it to who you're working with and you're able to have those conversations, you're able to kind of see it in a different way, understanding in a different light, um, which can be really powerful and really helpful. Mm-hmm. Um, third thing I would say is that I like to use the and concept, which is basically like, I've gained five pounds and I'm still an incredible coach and businesswoman and I traveled the world and I'm epic, you know, or I have, I had to go up two jean sizes and, you know, I'm not a mom, but I had an amazing mom and, um, you know, I own my own house and blah, blah, blah. Right. So it's kind of like, we're anchoring in something that maybe in our brain is a little bit negative to something that is more positive and together it kind of creates more of a neutrality by just kind of pairing them together. So that's always one I like to use where it's like, Oh, I look like this, but, and I still smash my CrossFit workouts. Right. So that's one like. I love that. And I want to bring up some, the second point you made about speaking about it to people. Mm -hmm. I've had many conversations with my fiance along my journey and one conversation really stood out to me and it wasn't that long ago, maybe like a year and a half ago. And I was, and I said to him, how can I ask you a question? He said, of course. I said, how can you think I look perfect in my body image as I am now when I'm 30 pounds heavier than when you first met me in Egypt? And he, he just went, um I don't know I think it's because I just love you for who you are and to see his confusion because he gen it wasn't like an automatic response like I'm not saying people do lie but you know from my perception because I we believe whatever we think about ourselves everyone thinks about us too it to see his thought process of like oh yeah shit why is that actually because he wasn't denying the fact that you know I'd got 30 pounds heavier it was his kind of like, it's just you. So that's just all women out there who, you know, always worry about maybe what their partner thinks or their friends think and whatever. It doesn't matter because when you look in the mirror, if you're not happy with what you see, you just kind of stare at your reflection and you don't see yourself smile or laugh or respond and talk to people. You don't see yourself 
every day, all day. That's the true beauty of who you are. Like I see myself a bloody lot because I'm on camera a lot. And at the beginning, when I first started coaching, I was like, oh my God, I look awful. But I literally, I don't mm -hmm. I actually don't care. I'm so used to all different angles of me, even the angles where I'm like, whoa, I did not know my nose looked like that from the side kind of thing. And it's okay because what else is there apart from to give yourself love and compassion and just focus on your mission? Like I'm so done with focusing on what my body looks like because I'm so over that. All it caused was disordered eating and that's it. I'm just done. <laughs> End yep. of speech. Mm. So good. Yeah. And point drop mic. Yeah. yeah, no, exactly. Exactly. It's it's so crazy and kind of going back to what you're saying around seeing yourself like it's like if you ever hear yourself like sending a voice down you listen to a back or you know i you know on podcasts or whatever you hear your voice or you see yourself it's not that it is bad it's just unfamiliar right that's how our brain works familiar is safe to our brain so if i'm always holding my phone a certain way or i always see myself in a mirror a certain way that's going to feel normal to me and then i see myself in a picture from the side and i'm like oh my god i'm disgusting and your friend is like what are you talking about you look amazing like you look so good right i'm sure we've all had that happen where we think look terrible and our friends are like what are you going on about just not familiar to us. So even as a little side note, you know, body image tip is exposing yourself to yourself. That sounds a weird way to say it, but like, it's like exposure therapy, right? It's like, you have to see yourself from different angles and understand what you look like so that your brain becomes, you know, kind of desensitized or and becomes familiar so that you feel safe, right? Like you're saying, see yourself on camera all the time. It just becomes, this is what I look like. Or if you hear your voice all the time, that's just my voice. But initially it can be this kind of shock value, not because it's bad, just simply because it's unfamiliar. Yeah, I used to, and I still do. I don't do a lot of yoga. I do it when I feel like it. I used to make it a daily practice to do naked yoga in front of a mirror. Yes, yes. yeah. Because it really helped me with body neutrality because, you know, I would just allow myself to look. Sometimes I'll be like, holy shit, whatever. I still love myself. And sometimes I'll be like, oh, you know, my body looks really different from, especially doing yoga, of course, you're doing all sorts of weird angles and things. <laughs> it's so healing to do that. And exposure therapy, exactly right. Like when we get out the shower, instead of like quickly like hiding ourselves away because God forbid your husband see you naked or something, mm -hmm. like just allow yourself to spend time with yourself and you don't have to like it, you know, but love, it's like, you know, if you have children or you've family whatever you love your family unconditionally but you don't like them all the time yeah. that's okay yeah oh uh, yeah exactly and I used to do naked dance parties like I love dancing if anyone ever follows me on social media I'm always dancing all the time so it's so fun um but that's a great way to connect with your body right is to like make yourself an awesome playlist that you love and then just start dancing and moving. Trust me, when you have like a little bit more, like I know like I have more weight on my butt than I did several years ago. Great for dancing, 10 out of 10 would recommend. <laughs> totally sex. Do you know, cause you've been in Bali, I've just decided that everyone who lives in Bali knows everyone else who's in Bali. Do you know Sophie LePage? Sophie LePage, the name sounds super familiar. Probably know her to see her to be honest, but yeah. yeah. She's, a, she's a woman's, um, she's a coach. She's like a sexual embodiment coach yeah okay yeah 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 now you give a frame of reference yeah okay yeah yeah I did her I, um, group coaching a couple of months oh, ago cool. it was amazing and one of the things I take took away from that was after my workout every day I choose a song so sometimes like this morning it was like a really kind of femme fire like kind of kind of sexy yeah. dance and I just dance and then sometimes mm -hmm. it's like a a dance track and I just dance and there's no mirrors where I work out upstairs purposely and I just allow myself to be in my body and just dance and things are going to wiggle and you know all of these things but again practicing that being in your body not seeing it as an object is so healing so guys we're giving you so many little golden nuggets here so if you want to do the work if you want to feel better in your body you have to do the inner work and these things work yeah, 100%. Absolutely. And last question, Victoria. Do you believe that self-love is the foundation to everything, including healing your relationship with food? Absolutely. Like, without a doubt. And I think the part to get to self-love, though, is the stepping stone is self-acceptance. Mm -hmm. And I think so often we think that if I accept myself, it means I'm no longer striving to better myself, but that's the opposite. Mm -hmm. It's through accepting yourself that you can actually start to create a path forward to the love of yourself and appreciating yourself in different ways. But if we're constantly trying to hate ourselves to a place that we love, 
that's not going to work. Nope. Maybe short term with all the diets. And then of course you end up heavier than you did before. We all know that, that route, which is people listening here. So Mm -hmm. you have a new, do you have a new group coaching launching? I do. Yeah. So it's called the craving food freedom course. I'm so excited about it. Like genuinely it's, it's, it's really quite good. It's really quite good. (laughs) I got the email yesterday. I think it was yesterday. And I love the name freaking love it. Craving food freedom. Yeah. (laughs) I love a good play on words. (laughs) Yeah. So tell so how can people follow you? Where can we find you? How can they work with you? I know you said your one-to-one is full. How can they get on a wait list? All the things. Yeah. So I hang out mostly over on Instagram. So that's at Victoria Evans official. Um, so there has link in my bio there. So you're also welcome. If you're listening to this episode, definitely shoot me a message. Let me know what your takeaways were. Um, but yeah, so right now I'm taking people for the course. So you can welcome to sign up. Um, you can also just touch my website, www.victoriaevansofficial.com. And I have all my different programs there. So one-on-one coaching is full right now. It will open up again in a few weeks once some new clients finish through. So if you're looking for one-on-one support. I got you from a very science-based standpoint, if that's your vibe. Um, if you're looking for more group support, I got you. Um, and yeah, and then I'm going to be releasing another program another few months as well, specifically around body image from a very science-based point. So stay tuned for that too. Oh my gosh, that is so freaking exciting. And I think anyone listening, if you're loving this episode, which of course you are, if you screenshot and then tag me and Victoria on Instagram with the hashtag craving food freedom, Yep, nailed it. Yeah. Yeah. Craving food freedom. I'm Victoria Kleinsman, as you know, and Victoria Evans official. We would love to know what your takeaway was. And Victoria, it's been an absolute honor to have you on. The hour has just flew by. I know. So crazy. Thank you so much for your wisdom, for who you are, your energy. You're amazing. Thank you so much. I had honestly the best time chatting with you. Thank you. And we will speak very soon, I'm sure. Sounds good. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for listening. I appreciate you so much. I would love to ask you a little favor that will literally take you probably one minute. Can you do that for me? Okay. It is to rate and review this podcast. And the reason I'm asking you is because if you do this for me, it will enable me to reach more women so I can help them and spread the message around the world of self-love, food and body freedom, which is much needed. So again, thank you so much for listening. If you loved this episode, by the way, please screenshot it and tag me on social media on Instagram at Victoria Kleinsman and on Facebook it's Victoria Kleinsman. Okay, have an amazing day. Sending you lots of love.